The picture has two people. One has a red shirt, one has a blue shirt, and the young person has on it what you said, talk to old people, they know cool stuff, you don't. The other one on the older person says, talk to young people, they know cool stuff, you don't. Welcome everyone. Before I start introducing my guest today, I wanted to let you know about a special announcement at the end of this podcast. Please stick around. And now, without further ado, I am delighted to introduce my guest, Helen Hirsch Spence. After devoting 35 years to increasingly senior leadership positions in both the public and private education sectors, Helen embarked on a journey of social entrepreneurship. She saw how ageism was impacting her generation and how the upcoming demographic shift would affect Canada's social and economic fabric. As a result, she founded Top 60 Over 60, which was created to celebrate, educate and amplify the positive impact of older Canadians by debunking common myth about aging and being old. Top 60 Over 60 provides thought leadership, consulting and training on age inclusion and diversity. Helen publishes articles, speaks at conferences and organizes events to promote a reframed narrative of aging. Welcome to the show, Helen. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much for being my guest today. And now for our listeners from all across the world, where are you calling in from? And is there a particular site or food in your area? So I'm calling in from uh, the capital of Canada, Ottawa. And uh, in terms of site, uh, I live in the country, so I see trees and the snow's just melted. So just to give you an idea, and it's April the 14th. So imagine it's, uh, it's still been snowing here. Uh, in terms of food, um, I, there's nothing much I would, I would speak to other than what we refer to as a beaver tail, which is actually like a, a pancake uh, with cinnamon on it. And we eat it when we're skating on the canal in particular. So th they're known as beaver tails. You can buy them always in, in, on food, at food trucks, specialized food trucks, but it's nothing that I would really um, rave about. Maple syrup is a food that does come from here for the most part and is excellent. Um, I've never heard of it, so that sounds quite tasty. It is to me. actually. It's very nice. It's it's uh, it's hard to describe, but it's got cinnamon and lemon on it. Cinnamon, sugar, and lemon on sort of like a. They make it look like a beaver tail. So now, Helen, you are the founder of Top Sixty Over Sixty. What made you decide to start it? Well, it's very simple. Uh, I myself was over 60 and I had had a, a career as a, a leader in education. And I realized that once I stepped out of that role that I became rather invisible and I became irrelevant. And I started questioning myself and I lost my confidence. And I spoke with many other people, especially women who felt similarly. And I decided to start trying to figure out what's this all about and realized that it had to do with ageism. So 
I was also at the, exactly the same time I was reading uh, in the newspaper about competitions called Top 40 Under 40. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to try and start something where we bring attention to older adults as positive influences in lives of younger people and older people. And so I created Top 60 Over 60 with the intention of really, you know, running uh, an event in a conference uh, at um, initially, but then I realized that there was actually more interest in um, running courses and conversations with individuals, coaching and group coaching uh, about ageism. And so I developed a number of different programs uh, that were for people my age in particular, and that was in the at the time in my 60s, in my mid-60s. And that was the genesis of Top 60 Over 60. And since we've become, you know, a sort of a niche consultancy about age diversity, I am now looking actively for some sponsorship to hold a Top 60 Over 60, because I think the time is right. And um, I really believe that the only way in which we will change um, beliefs about aging is by role modeling and, and demonstrating that there are many inspirational stories of individuals who are not exceptional leaders or anything, but just exceptional everyday people um, who have very active, um, productive, interesting lives and they're older than 60. Because we have such, as a society, we are so youth-centric and we're so focused on, on young and we have been for, for as long as I've been alive, that many people my age, so I'm in my early 70s now, sincerely believe that the only value one has is when we are young. And that's, that's called internalized ageism or self-directed ageism. So we're very often, um, we think of ourselves as uh, victims when in fact we've done it to ourselves because we've believed a lot of the nonsense such as you can't teach an old dog new tricks. You know, little expressions like that have a profound influence on, on everybody. And so, or something isn't appropriate for that person over there because um, she's 55 and she shouldn't be wearing such a short skirt or something like that. Well, her legs may be better than a 15 year old, but that's irrelevant. She's not 15 and so she's condemned for that. And it's particularly hard on women as they get older. It seems that men who are aging with pot bellies and balding heads are still considered, um, I don't know, uh, they still have the prestige that they may have had before, but for women, it's that much more challenging. But I don't focus only on women by any means, but I have to say that the people who, who attend our conferences and seminars and programs tend to be mostly women because they're willing to talk about it and to move forward uh, with, with uh, changing their minds about what it means to age today. It's interesting. It, it definitely is interesting. And, you know, as I'm sort of like, as you mentioned before, so I'm in my second um, or in my middle ages, right? I'm 52. Yeah. And, and so to me, it is really in, important to sort of understand and have that conversation across all the different generations. And you've already brought up, you know, some of the myths 
than people have about age. Could you maybe share a few more sure. that especially in a, you know, a workplace setting people might have? For sure. As I say, we're focusing when we work with businesses on um, promoting the, the mixed age workforce uh, because, uh, because for the following reasons. Um, I'll talk particularly about older people uh, because those that's where the there are lots of myths about older people. I'll talk about younger too. But there's a, a myth that as an older person, we can't learn as quickly, that we're in cognitive decline. When in fact, the brain research has proven that that isn't the case unless we're unwell, which isn't the case for most of us. Um, that in fact, um, we have a different kind of intelligence. It's called crystallized intelligence, whereas young people have fluid intelligence and that the brain actually stops growing at age 30. So as a 32 year old, you're already over the hill if that's, your, if that's going to be your, your criteria for learning and so on. It's different types of intelligence. And as you get older, you've got the experience that you can add to the knowledge and the skills that you have. So it's a, again, another layer. And therefore, if you can combine those two intelligence together in a workforce, you've got a, a, a phenomenal uh, opportunity to be productive. So what they have found with older generations uh, back in the workforce or staying in the workforce, that it actually um, increases the retention of all employees because there's a transfer of information and corporate knowledge. So it's like mentoring informal or formal. Um, the belief that older people get sick and take more sick leave or are going to be on long-term disability has been disproven in the research as well. In fact, uh, older individuals take less sick leave than young people. So that again is role modeling for others. Um, they, there's also a myth about tech savviness when in fact it's been again proven that you know most older people have the technological skills that you need to be in a workforce. And because technology is changing so quickly, everybody has to upskill every two years, two and a half years. But the difference is, is that businesses and companies often don't invest in their older workers because they assume wrongly for a, lot, for, for a greater part that they are going to retire or that they can't learn. So they aren't being promoted, they aren't being encouraged, and they aren't being given the same opportunities oftentimes than younger people. Um, they are also, there's a belief about entrepreneurship that you know uh, when you get older, oh, you can't start something new. Well, there's really no expiry date on productivity and innovation. In fact, it's, it's again, um, a myth that you aren't as creative and innovative as you get older. It's quite the contrary. You're more innovative and creative. But a Kaufman Foundation and other organizations have shown that the most successful entrepreneurs are those who are over the age of 55. And it makes sense when you think about it because they have knowledge, skill, life experience, networks, perhaps some financial security. So in, in my estimation, the best type of entrepreneurial activity would be when you mix the generations, which is what I, I, I hope to encourage as much as possible whenever I think about it. When I say entrepreneurship, I'm not just talking about starting your own business. It can be entrepreneurship within an organization or corporation that people take, take initiative 
to, to look at products or manufacturing or doing things, services differently, you know? So those are some of the common myths that, that are um, unfortunately appropriated to being older. And the, on converse, ageism goes both ways. Young people are often denied uh, the potential of, of taking on leadership roles because people think, well, they're simply too young to, to be a leader in such a way. So it works both ways and it's very individual. Many younger people are wiser than many older people I know, uh, but it takes, uh, I think, training and understanding uh, for everyone to get over those, those stereotypes about different generations in order to work effectively together. And there has to be a, a will to do so. I mean, we've known throughout history, older people have always said it was better in the olden days, right? It's an easy reframe, a refrain, sorry, that we can go back to. And everybody thinks the same, but it's not true. And we all know it's not true. It's just different. So we need to, we need to uh, welcome those different perspectives, incorporate them into what we're doing and make the best um, of those relationships for the sake of the businesses or the companies that we work with. As you just said, it's like taking the best of, you know, everybody's, um, you know, generational experience, maybe attitude and reduce stereotypes. And I'm, as you know, I'm a big fan of flexible work. Mm -hmm. And one of the aspects there is job sharing. And often the intergenerational job sharing to me is a perfect way to incorporate what you have just said. So I think there is so much that both, um, you know, or not just the, the youngest and the oldest generation, but really any generation can learn from each other. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to say, so I don't know if you know my background, but I was a high school principal and I had mistress and girls yes. schools. So I've been in schools my entire life. I mean, I just stopped being in schools recently, but I'm now online <laughs> in school. But the, the point is that I always worked with young people and I worked with my staff. And as I got older, the staff would get younger than me. And, but my students were always the same age. They have been the most positive influence in my life. If it weren't for one of my former students, I wouldn't have known anything about social entrepreneurship. I learned from her. I visited her one day in Toronto. I live in Ottawa, so that's six hours away, five, six hours away. I visited her, we talked, and she brought me to the Center for Social Innovation, which I didn't know it existed. And so she introduced me to an area that I had never even been exposed to. And because of that, I started doing what I'm doing now and which I've been busy with for the last eight years. So. I've always been open to those kinds of relationships. And I can honestly say with an intern that we've had for the last four months with Top 60, uh, her name is Solange. She's a student at Queen's University in a master's business master's program. I'm learning as much from her as she probably is learning from me, uh, if not more, because she's more, she's taken the courses that I never took. <laughs> and so she's helping me and, you know, with, with the business. One of my sons was showing me something about, you know, Reddit, like there was this um, recent, I guess you want to call it competition where they, it's, you know, Reddit place where you had literally people from all over the world putting together a communal art, um, you know, mm. 
um yeah and it was like it was for april fool's days and i think it went over three or four days but what i found most fascinating was that it was literally this international community how they would coordinate because you could only put like one pixel every i guess five minutes so they coordinated with people all around the world how to recreate famous pictures how to you know make some cartoon character or yeah. whatever it was and it only worked because they had that community because one person alone it would have taken them forever so i i just thought it was fascinating and what it made me realize is if my son hadn't pointed that out, that would have been something I just would have had no idea. And so to your point, I think it is so important to learn from everybody, really. Yeah. Yeah. I think also that one of the things that, you know, um, the pandemic has facilitated has been more of this global reach and the opportunity to collaborate across cultures, ages, and so on. Not that it necessarily happens, um, but but I think the key ingredient is that you have to be curious and you have to also want to learn. And if there's anything that I could recommend uh, as people get older is that they do uh, force themselves out of their comfort zones to learn things that wouldn't necessarily come naturally to them and where they do feel exposed and, and perhaps um, out of their area of expertise, but that's when you really stretch and grow. And I think it's as important, if not more important, when you get older. I can give you a perfect example of myself. I started my podcast when I was in my early 50s. Um, Yeah, not something 20 years ago, if somebody had told me this. (laughs) But but then, to be honest, I was a at my university, I was a DJ, you know, way back. So, you know, so to some extent, being a radio DJ, sort of, you know, there are similarities. I just wouldn't have imagined that many decades from that point onwards, I would do this. So um, now one of the posts I saw about you, it had this great slogan talk to old people they know cool stuff you don't so how you know we've been talking a lot about communication how can we further facilitate it what within an organization people hr managers business leaders listening to us how can they best do that well first of all i have to make an addition to your comments the um The picture has two people. One has a red shirt, one has a blue shirt. Mm -hmm. And the young person has on it what you said. Talk to old people. They know cool stuff. You don't. The other one on the older person says, talk to young people. They know cool stuff. You don't. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. I was so focused on that. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) No, so the whole point is, you know, that that kind of, there are all sorts of ways, you know, having been in schools, I know how challenging it can be um, because of privacy and because of protection and safety of children. You can't just let anybody into a classroom or you can't just expose them. So you have to work, you know, with the systems and whatnot if you wanna work in the schools. Um, uh, However, I think you can, you know, you can take, you can go to places where young people congregate, for instance. it can be concerts, it can be uh, shows, it can be uh, bars, it can, there are any number of places where you can. But I think also it's pretty easy on the internet these days, you know, to get into a conversation about something if you see it um, in one of the social media uh, posts. Um, but 
I'm there are a number of other different ways too. I think, you know, through organizations that focus on this, there's something called Encore in the United States, and they have a, a very uh, intergenerational, co-generational focus. Um, and there are other organizations as well that, that have like internships and mentorship programs. I think there's something called Seekers and no, what's it called? Sages and Seekers. And that's a program uh, that um, exists in the United States. We don't have very much here uh, as much, but um, for instance, now I'm, I've paired up with a, a woman who has got something called uh, World Changing Kids. So maybe that's something you can promote as well. Um, it's And she has what she calls an Upstanders Academy. Anyway, so she introduces uh, social justice issues to children between the ages of eight and 13. And the, these conversations also involve the children's parents very often. So it's been online. I think she does it in person as well when it was not COVID. And she and I are trying to do a couple of things together now too, where I could speak to some of the children and um, doing things in part, there are just, there's, there's limitless ways in which I think we can engage. Um, you just really have to make an effort. And I do think that young people also, so I started these intergenerational conversations on, on top 60 over 60, and they've been very successful. And um, what I hear from the young people is that they're often intimidated by older people, so they would never in, an, in another situation dare to join, but they've been invited to participate, so they feel welcome, and they're so happy because they, they got to network and meet people who they otherwise would never have known or met. So it has been very, these, these intergenerational conversations have been very, very significant to both the older people and the younger people, and I have from ages 16 to over 90 who participate. So it's been very, it's been enriching for everyone. I mean, that sounds like, like such a wonderful way to get people to talk in a sort of maybe non-threatening, yeah. non-intimidating way. So if somebody is say 16 or 17, that may have a question of like, you know, if you reflect to somebody who might be say 80 or 85, yeah. When you reflect back on your life, what are your, you know, the most yeah. important things that, right. or what do you regret or things like that so that they can then reflect on it. And, mm -hmm. and I also feel like, you know, within an organization, that type of communication, you know, maybe there could be some sponsorships yeah. for younger children, uh, no children, sorry, younger professionals yeah. to participate in your conversations sure. as a form of mentorship that yeah. and especially to be honest in some cases maybe sometimes within an organization you know younger professionals might feel um uncomfortable asking mm -hmm. say the big boss some question but in a setting yeah. what you just described right. that could be a perfect way that it could be added as a, a mentoring program for sure. younger professionals yeah, well, I've always had mentoring programs. Um, I've published and written a lot about it and established several in the educational realm. Mm -hmm. the, same, the same concepts apply outside of education. And so, yeah, I think it, there's a lot, um, mentoring always implies that there's an older person who is giving information to a younger person, but I really believe in what I call reciprocal mentorship right. where it goes both ways. 
And those kinds of relationships can, can evolve uh, informally or formally, depending on the business or the organization, or just, you know, it, you get in touch. It doesn't have to be uh, a very formalized approach, but I don't think that everybody is suited for, for being a mentor either. There are a lot of people who are too judgmental or, you know, they have to be open-minded and they have to believe in certain um, tenets such as respect and, and uh, you know, uh, you know, flexibility and, and listening well. There are a number of things as, a, as, as individuals that I think lend themselves to being better listeners and helpers than others. So, but it doesn't, I mean, anybody can do it to a certain extent and I, I certainly do advocate for it. And I'd love to find a sponsor that could, um, you know, expand this program, but I'm doing everything, you know, on more or less on my own. So um, I can only do so much at this point. And, and therefore, we, you know, it is what it is, <laughs> but I believe in it. I believe in it strongly and I live it. So. Well, thank you very much for sharing this. And I will be sure to put all that information that you just shared about your um, intergenerational conversations into the show notes. So for people listening to us, they can, you know, um, follow up join in and if there is somebody listening who would be interested in sponsoring to yeah. um reach out to you that'd be great so right now um, well i'll give you the the link as well when we, mm -hmm. after the show so okay yes yeah yes mm -hmm. yes so and now you know one of the things which i find so interesting when we talk about younger generations there is very much the need for purpose in their work. So I listened in my research for our conversation yeah. today to yeah. an interview about, you know, that you gave. And I thought it was so interesting. You're talking about the importance of purpose for older generations. So could you share a bit more about it and how, you know, across generations, there are many more similarities than one might think at first sight. So I think that's a, a, one of the places where I think there's a huge intersection between um, older generations, whether it's boomers, the silent generation, Gen X, and younger generations. Um, they, the younger ones, like your son, has been raised with social justice issues at the forefront. They've lived through now a terrible situation with the pandemic. They're seeing a war in the Ukraine. Um, they've pr probably seen their parents perhaps um, you know, go through housing issues and all sorts of things. They've had a tougher life than, than I did growing up post Second World War. But what's clear to me is that we were the disruptors once upon a time in the 60s and 70s. And now in our 60s and 70s, what we want to do is leave a legacy of a better world for the children for future generations, because we also know that we contributed enormously to, um, to the destruction of the environment in which we live, not purposefully by any means, but because we didn't know um, and because capitalism reigned supreme. Uh, and I think that today, and it, it, there's, there's evidence to show that as you get older, um, there are certain characteristics that are going to, um, extend one's life, so to speak, if you have meaning and purpose in your life. 
Um, and people are beginning to recognize that. So retirement is, in my opinion, a notion of the past. People may, so to speak, stop working in their primary career, but most people who are thoughtful and thinking and are, you know, in some way intellectually um, curious or active, they, they want to do something else, whether it's volunteer or whether it's paid employment. And that usually has to do with something that's related to um, meaning, meaningful contribution or purpose. So they found that if people do have purpose, they tend to live something like 7.5 years longer. And that has to do with positive thinking as well as mindset, you know, positive mindset about aging. There's lots that's been written about now. I think Becca Levy is, she just came out with a new book, uh, her research, I can't tell you the name of it right now, but it just came out. And um, it's, it's all about what you think about growing older and how it impacts your life as you grow older, whether you're uh, healthier, whether you live as long and so on. But they ha she has proven time and again, how positive reflections about getting older are going to be useful. And so much of that has to do with purpose. And younger people, now we hear millennials and Gen Z and, you know, are interested in work that fulfills them, which is different words for a meaningful uh, purpose. So we all have that in common. Everybody actually really wants that. I think the younger people are less interested in, in the values of, of uh, extreme consumerism, which we unfortunately um, got too heavily involved in and probably think a lot more about, you know, waste and what we're wearing and how often you can wear it or, you know, not just throw away things. I think a lot of things are going to change with these younger people. I think we're going to go back to, you know, more sustainable cooking, like not always buying processed food. I think we're going to raise our own food more, have more backyard chickens. I, I really think there'll be a movement um, to be um, more self-sufficient because we'll find, we found through the pandemic and, and the global realities that we can't rely on, on others to sustain us in the same way. So, um, and young people are growing up with that reality, which we didn't, you know? So I think there's, there's a lot of convergence of thinking and wanting to do something better for the, for, for the future. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting that the pandemic, to your point, I feel has focused or emphasized the local aspects of mm -hmm. somebody's life. And yeah. while there is, you know, on the one hand, because of technology, yeah. the global, you know, communication available through Zoom and all of these yeah. other programs, but mm -hmm. by the same token, the, you know, where do I live? What is it that I, to your point, can grow in the backyard that mm -hmm. will survive. And uh, right. so I think it's a definitely a, a huge change. And so, you know, one of the things I also wanted to talk with you, and we've talked a little bit about before, was the flexible work aspect. Mm. And as you said, the retirement per se may not be continuing in the current form because people get older and ultimately um, would like to contribute more. So do you have any thoughts or ideas? Like, you know, I obviously love job sharing to um, have that 
reverse mentoring or in general, yeah. you know, exchange, but also like part-time careers. Sure. I mean, have you, when you talk to different generations, so what has been what you have heard about more flexible aspects of work? Oh. I mean, I think, first of all, flexibility is key. And I think now because of the new situation with hybrid work environments and the possibility of remote, it's going to be a reality moving forward. So I, I think that will assist both older and younger people. The way I see it is when I get older, I may want more flexibility to take care of my grandchildren. When I'm a young mother, I want to make, have the flexibility to take care of my children, perhaps, and my parents. It's the same across generations. It's maybe just for different reasons that people want flexibility to go to doctor's appointments, to do this, that, and the other thing. It makes sense. It's just that the working structures that we've always known um, have always fallen into sort of a five-day work week, 40, 40 hours here in this country, not necessarily in, you know, as you know, in Germany, where you have automatically six weeks vacation, you know, in the United States, you have three, all of those things um, contribute to the well-being of, of the individuals if they have that, if they can manage flexibility. With regard to job sharing, I think it's an excellent, excellent choice for many people. As a principal in high school, I can tell you, when I had two teachers who were job sharing for a half day, I got double as much out of both of them because they were always willing to work longer or more and converse with one another. It was a win-win situation for everybody. Um, it depends, of course, on what the job is, you know, whether it's half a week or half a day or whatever. But I mean, it's a, it's definitely um, it should be more of an option and people should perhaps think about it um, more seriously as as an opportunity uh, for people who have differing needs. Uh, I just think that the, it is going to be the future, this, this kind of flexibility. I mean, you hear about four-day work weeks, you, th you know, but, you know, if I'm working with a company in Japan or Australia, I'm going to be up at four in the morning and maybe I'm going to need to sleep, you know, at three in the afternoon. So I think that all of these things are going to become part of the new reality as we move forward. And the future of work will, has never been as diverse as it will be currently or before the pandemic. Yeah. It, it doesn't make any sense, especially when we're aware of the greenhouse gases for me to commute two hours to get to work or back and forth two hours, use the gas, pollute the environment, when in fact we can meet. That's not to say, I think for a moment that Zoom replaces that personal interaction. On the contrary, I think it's really important to have meetings in person, um, but you can work that in. Just the hybrid model doesn't have to be only one way or the other. And you can put people together for meaningful uh, engagements where you uh, do team building and team cohesive exercises, which uh, I think are have always been very important. Yeah. I mean, to me, I feel we are literally at the beginning of some type of new revolution of work simply because it's sort of, you know, everything has changed. And while some executives might believe a lot of people would like to go back to the old, everybody coming back to work or maybe four days a week, I think the reality is a lot of people will simply move to a new organization that provides much more flexibility because they've learned for two years how effective 
and efficient they can be at the same time having more of a work-life balance. Yeah, I just want to add one thing, though, Karen, that I think is really important, and that is one of the reasons why I would also advocate for rehiring and bringing in older people back into the workforce is because for many people, the work environment is their only social environment as well. And it's so important to stay socially engaged as you age. It's more important than ever. Um, again, you know, the studies prove that those people who have rich social, uh, you know, rich friendships and connections, in addition to family, and some people don't have family because their children or their parents are elsewhere. So this, the work life sometimes becomes a family uh, in and of its own. And so that's another reason why people should also continue to, to work um, and get to know other people. But it's also important to do it, you know, in person as well as as high, you know, hybrid model. I want to make sure that you know we covered everything today that you would like to talk about. Is there anything that we might not have covered that you would share with our listeners? Well, if they're running businesses, I would suggest that they think about age diversity as one of the diversities that everybody has has forgotten about. Um, and uh, more than anything, everything that I'm doing is trying to address issues around ageism, which goes both directions to against older people as well as towards younger people. Um, ageism is probably, it's the only ism that continues to be socially acceptable. People don't understand how, uh, how it impacts individuals the impact on communities and Canadian economy or any economy um, for that matter. Because when we work, we're busy, we're mentally active, we're socially engaged, we're making some money so that we're financially more independent, we are contributing taxes, you know, um, and, and for all of those reasons, it's really important to not be ageist against older individuals. And the same thing goes for young, because they're the ones who really, you know, are being hit with so many of today's realities with high interest rates, student loans, unaffordable housing. So somehow we have to work together more effectively in order to um, diminish the impacts of ageism. The World Health Organization has identified ageism as a global pandemic. One out of two people is ageist against older people in the world. And it has such harmful effects that they wrote a, a massive report and they have campaigns against it. And yet nobody is paying us that much attention to ageism. So that's probably the only thing I would wanna add is like hire top 60 over 60 so that we can help you with some of these issues. That's what I'd like to say. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. I'm so appreciative of you being a trailblazer, making sure that more organizations learn about the importance of having intergenerational communication, you know, hiring people across all generations mm -hmm. and how that will benefit everybody. So yeah. thank you. You're and welcome. now, how can people reach you, Helen? I have LinkedIn. I have company LinkedIn. I have Facebook and Twitter at the moment. And then I have my email and our website, of course, which is top60over60.com, all written out. And so I will be sure to put it into the show notes so people can reach out to you and learn more about all 
you know, the different um, ways you are helping organizations and bringing more people together so they can learn about it. Thank you very much, Karen. And let me know how I can help you as well. Thank you so much, Helen. You're welcome. I really enjoyed the conversation with Helen. And as a summary, we spoke today about Helen's organization, Top 60 Over 60. She gave the background of how she um, started her organization. She shared many myths about age. She was telling us that everybody has to upskill nowadays every two years or so. So in a way, that's perfect as older and younger professionals have to do it. We also talked about the importance of reciprocal mentorship and that unlike what some people might think, younger and older professionals have a lot more in common because, for example, they both really focus on purpose. We spoke about the importance of flexibility, again, for all types of generations And last but not least, Helen shared how important work as a social environment is for older people and how it is beneficial not only for interacting with the colleagues, but also how helpful it is on a health perspective. And now to the special announcement. As this podcast has now reached more than a hundred episodes, I wanted to ask you, my listeners, two questions. Why do you listen to the Job Sharing and Beyond podcast? What else would you like me to talk about? If you could spend 90 seconds to send me your quick response to Karen Tischler at emilyspath.ca, that would be truly appreciated. Thank you so much for joining me weekly and listening to the Job Sharing and Beyond show. Thank you so much for listening to the show. We hope you gained valuable insights and new ideas. To keep listening to future episodes, please head over to iTunes or your favorite player and subscribe and give it a rating. We would very much appreciate a review and for you to share it on social media so more people can start innovating in how they offer employment. Until the next time, goodbye.